Hello, welcome into the ESPN Roundtable. This is Coulter Nuanez. As always, you can find the podcast version of the ESPN Roundtable, SkylineSportsMT.com. You can also always hear it new time now on 1029 ESPN Missoula, as well as statewide on SWX Montana Television. We're airing these things 5 p.m. on Wednesdays now so that I can skedaddle and go to Grizz football practice and get some interviews because that's just the only time that they can take place. And practice gets over about 5.30. And now we'll play these at noon on Thursdays. It used to be Wednesday at noon, Thursdays at 5, but we just flip-flopped them. So you can always catch that now. And a couple weeks behind uploading these in podcast form, so we'll have three of them for you. Boom, boom, boom. This one featuring Dallas Neal, former Grizz standout, who was a tight end and a punter. Then he made it to the NFL as a punter, and then he was playing tight end. And all sorts of great stories from Dallas Neal. Uh, from his career with the University of Montana as well as the Atlanta Falcons and uh, an unlikely story to say the least a story like I've never really heard before as always the ESPN Roundtable proudly presented by Paradise Falls in Missoula, Paradise Falls 3621 Brook Street they have 18 draft beers, 30 big screen TVs. No matter where you need to watch any game, they have it available. They have ESPN3 on every single one of their TVs. And they have all the streaming services as well. So go check them out if you need a place to watch sports, want a place to wind down, have a cocktail on the back deck, enjoy one of the great late happy hours in town. Whatever you need, Paradise Falls on the south side of town. They got you covered. Paradise Falls, Missoula's coolest hotspot. Here's Dallas Neal, the ESPN Roundtable from two weeks ago. Well, welcome in to the ESPN Roundtable, and happy to be joined this week by former University of Montana football player and former NFL football player and current gym owner, entrepreneur, and consultant around town, around Missoula, Dallas Neal. Dallas, how are you? So good to have you here. Thanks for being here. Oh, yeah. I'm glad to be here. Good to good to be enjoying this day. Well, it's great to be enjoying the day, and happy birthday first of all i mean congratulations another one marked down in the books that's pretty great oh yeah big plans for tonight you gotta have some seafood you gotta do it yeah okay i'm I'm actually gonna make some barbecue some wings and and maybe a few calzones on the barbecue do you do calzone on the queue oh yeah that's the way huh yeah i'm into that that sounds that sounds pretty great uh we have a unique setup this time around where Dallas is here in studio with me, and Coulter, who's been in Bozeman covering uh, the Cats and is on his way back to Missoula, but is still uh, in route. Hello, Coulter. How are you doing on the phone line here? <laughs> Usually it's the guest that's on the phone line, not the co-host, but we make it work at Tutel Noir. That's right. I'm happy it, Dallas is with us. That, very, very good. Well, let's, we got a ton of stuff to talk about here uh, with you, but you, were, uh, you, you played at the University of Montana, graduating in 1999, and... I'm the story. Anybody who's gone on to spend time in the NFL, especially when you're coming from the FCS or the Division One AA level, has a pretty interesting story to tell. But years in particular is maybe pretty unique, even by those standards. Particularly, you're a, a great kicker, great punter for the University of Montana, but also went to the league in that capacity and as a tight end and a, and as an H-back. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. And right. it, didn't, it didn't even make sense to me at the time. But I sent out I – was, I was a good punter, but I sent out 32 highlight tapes to all the NFL teams. And I got no response. Didn't get invited to the Combine. It was kind of end of story right. as I knew it. Yeah. Had an agent, Ken Staninger, but it wasn't things weren't happening. So I kind of took a little bit of a risk. So what okay, so what did you do? <laughs> so so me and a buddy were talking and I decided to get I went down to Herbergers and convinced them to sell me a four foot mannequin leg. 
put it in a big package, looked up in the NFL, who is the worst punter in the NFL? <laughs> and so I put this in a package, sent it to Frank Gans Jr., who is the St. Louis Rams special teams coach, and said, I give my right leg to play for the St. Louis Rams. And I have my <laughs> highlight tape sitting right there. That is too good. So I didn't think anything of it, but he called me. He called me just out of the blue and just started laughing. Really? Like he just, just thought it, it was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and my first response was, well, did you watch my highlight tape? Because right. that's what was happening. Nobody was watching right. my highlight tape. And he said, no. <laughs> and he said, but I will, and I'll call you back. Okay. So I get a call back like two days later, and he said, you know, y- you got great hang time. I think you got a shot. He goes, but I don't want a rookie punter. I want a veteran. So I'll call USA Today, and I'll have him write an article about you and about your mannequin leg gig. And it happened. Really? So I got, I got some press, and Green Bay, Atlanta, and Denver all picked up on it. And I, I went out and punted on a nice snowy day in Washington yeah. Grizzly Stadium for these three teams. Mm. And I could have, um, I didn't get drafted, but at the end of the draft, both Denver and Atlanta called me, and I could have go to either one as as one of the 110 that come in as a walk on. Right, and so you ended up going to Atlanta. Yeah, I chose Atlanta. They it looked like there might be a little bit better opportunity there, and I really liked Dan Reeves. He was a great head coach at yeah. that time. And their punter was older, so mm-hmm. there was a chance that it might be the but end of the But the elevation career. didn't draw you like, oh, I could bang this thing up there for days and mile high, right? And the Broncos <laughs> were kind of my team. Yeah. So I was like, I was like ah. Right, right. You're kind of like trying to get a job. So, yeah, I go down to Atlanta, and I'm expecting to play punter. But they had a guy get injured, and they needed somebody to run routes in training camp. And they kind of already had me on the cut list. So they're like, could you just run some routes? A month later, Dan Reeves pulls me aside, and he's like, I don't think I've seen you drop a ball in a month. I want to see you wear pads. I want to put some pads on you and see what happens. Wow. And that was my entrance into the NFL. I put pads on at 208 pounds and got oh, annihilated. <laughs> it was yeah. ridiculous. Uh, so – once they put pads on me, my own coach didn't want to put me in anymore <laughs> because he for, was concerned for, for my reasons. safety. <laughs> I was a great receiver, but I wasn't big enough as a tight end. That's or as amazing, an though. I mean, that's like that's unbelievable. I mean, that's that's I've never ever heard something like no, that. No, it was it was it was it was crazy. And and up until we played in Tokyo against the Dallas Cowboys when all the people in front of me got hurt. So the halfback got a concussion. The other guy pulled his hamstring. There was nobody left to go in. So Dan Reeves turns around and he goes, put the backup in. My coach, I'm standing next to him, says, we don't have a backup. (laughs) That's... This was a true story. He had that much confidence in my ability. Right. There are no... So... So it gets worse. Coach Reeves was like, well, then put Neil in. And he's, he said, with me next to him, you can't be serious. Coach Reeves grabs me by the face mask. I go into the game. First play, I was so excited and also so overwhelmed, I forgot what the play was. But I just ran a little flat route, and the quarterback picked up on it, threw me a ball, and I went 28 yards to the two-yard line and almost scored. And from then on... In practice, you could never hit anybody below the waist. 
Right. So your your strength, I was never strong enough to hit anybody, but I was quick enough. Mm. But once I got in the game, I could cut guys. I could hit them below the waist. I could hit them. And to my surprise, after a couple games, the coaches were like, you're really, you're really good at this. So from 110, I was the number 53 guy taken and put on the active roster. And I was required to gain 30 pounds in 30 weeks. <laughs> Some people, that sounds like a dream. I could do that. <laughs> 30 pounds, easy. Where yeah. is the buffet? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, but but then so then you you made the team as a punter slash tight end. I yep. I made the team back as a tight end. Yeah. All I made right. the team as an H back special teams player and as a backup punter, mm. which was a complete role reversal right. from what I was expecting. That is that is bizarre. Coulter, have you ever heard of something like that? But Dallas, you played you played some tight end and H back at Montana, though, right? This wasn't as if it was your first time ever playing at a high level at these positions. Well, it wasn't my first time playing at a high level, but if you look at the level of which an H back or tight end plays at <laughs> right. University of Montana <laughs> compared to what they play at in the NFL, it was a right. it was a huge step up from where I was expecting to be, and I had also been losing weight to be a punter, so I wasn't right. big enough. Right, right, yeah. I mean, two hundred eight well, pounds at any position other than punter in the NFL is probably a problem unless you're a 4-2 wide receiver or something like that. Well, and they motivated me to gain weight. It was every Friday I'd weigh in and I needed to gain a pound, Mm. a pound, a pound. Well, if I didn't make my weight, it was $250 per pound out of my paycheck. Oh, man. And then if you missed it that week, they could double it to $500 a pound. Oh my god. So every Friday was kind of a nerve-wracking day for Am me. I, gonna I make... was like drinking the orange juice right at the end and <laughs> right. and I was actually pretty impressed. Like nobody that I was around I ever saw take steroids. Everybody was just genetic freaks. Mm. And you know, they just it was amazing. I got so many questions to follow up from that amazing story, but first of all, what were you eating? What what was the process like to put on all the food or to put on all the weight? So for me, I did have a big enough frame to handle the the weight, so it was more like uh, chocolate milk every time after working out. It was peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at 6 in the morning. It was mac and cheese at 10 at night. It really had to do with just getting some quality calories in, uh, but you just had you just had to keep eating. And, and and lifting, right? I mean, like oh, it's, yeah. it's a muscle mass deal. So it's too, and you're burning calories, lots of them, obviously, when you're working out that hard. So then you got to eat everything you could find. Yeah, three to four hours a day we were working out, and so you had to find a way to to kind of out calorie that. Um, what was what was the highlight for you aside from making the team, which is such a, I mean, that's an unbelievable accomplishment. To, to be able to say that. But in your time, you were with the with the Falcons for a couple of years and then with the Jets there uh, for a year or so. But what, what, what to you was the, when you look back at three, four years, you know, in the NFL, in the league, front and center, what, what stands out to you when you look back on that? You know, the highlight to me was the moments that I had when I could get people to believe in themselves or the – you know, like as a team, it's the guys, mm. you know, you don't, when you're inside of it, it's not so much, I mean, playing in Green Bay and Lambeau Field in the playoffs and beating them when we had Michael Vick uh, before he got in trouble, right, right. That, that was, that was, that, that was some cool experiences for sure. But you have this thing that um, you so push each other to a level 
that you've never experienced before, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And I, I think that's why I made the team, to be honest, because I had that Rudy mentality that the, that the team kind of needed. They needed some grit. Mm. And, and I think Coach saw that in me, and he wanted that, even if I didn't play a lot. Right. He wanted that. Boys and girls, it is football season, and there is no better place to sit and enjoy a game, all the games, than Paradise Falls. Coulter on the south end of town, 18 rotating beer tap handles, a great late happy hour, 30 televisions, a bunch of different rooms to watch. Why wouldn't you go to Paradise Falls if you're going to go ahead and watch some football? So often during football season, I hear, what is ESPN3? How do I find ESPN3? Well, Paradise Falls not only has ESPN3, but they have ESPN3 on every single TV at their entire establishment. So if you have a game that you need to watch, Paradise Falls has got it, period, point blank, 30 TVs spread around a great spacious area. Like you said, 18 draft beers, a breakfast, lunch, and dinner menu. Hardly any place in town are going to be able to find that sort of access, that sort of food, that sort of service. 3621 Brook Street near the intersection of Reserve and Brooks on the south end of the city. There's not a lot of options that way. Paradise Falls is a great one. And like you said, watch any game you want all the time, all season long at Paradise Falls. Paradise Falls is Missoula's coolest hot spot. I have three different follow-ups from everything that you said. So first of all, I want to start with, you mentioned researching who has some of the weaker punters in the league. One of the things I think is so fascinating, we take all this technology and all this internet stuff for granted, and it's just become just a part of our lives. But we had Shannon Schwein in here on the ESPN Roundtable a couple weeks back, and she was talking about, you know, when, in the late 1980s, when she was getting recruited out of Billing Central, there's no internet. You know, you get a letter from Vanderbilt, you got to go to the library and go research, where's Vanderbilt? Where's that at? What's the school like? Even just 10 years after that, you know, late 90s, how are you finding out information? Well, what, what's your tactic to find out you know, who, who might have a spot for me? You know, I was definitely talking to my, to my agent who, who kind of knew, but I, I really did it on my own. I actually just looked at who had the worst average mm. and, and who was kind of towards the end of their career. So age combined with age, maybe the well, because what happens in the NFL is you start getting mandatorily paid more, right? As you get older, and so a young guy would make a couple hundred grand, where a veteran would be minimumed at seven hundred and fifty thousand to a million, right? So if they can save some money on the salary cap, you only need to be as good as the next guy. You don't need to be better than him. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great point. Colter, what else? Right, you, got? you mentioned your agent. I grew up across the street from Ken Stanger. So Kenny's a great uh, mentor of mine. He was one of my dad's best friends. And so I, I known him my whole life. And we actually inducted him into the Montana Football Hall of Fame last year, which was great. It was really fun. And then he's had, he had such a fascinating career because he was such a maverick, such a trailblazer in certain elements. But uh, just, just tell us about that element of it because, you know, Kenny was such a champion for uh, small school guys, especially former Grizz. And helping them get shots at the big time. So, what sort of influence did that play just on on you and your opportunities in the NFL? Well, I think he was really well known because Montana guys before me had, when they went into camp, they worked hard, they didn't mess around, and they got it done. And I think that kind of you pave a way for somebody else, and they've been paving a way for you. So, Montana guys are known that they're a little less of a risk. Mm. They may not be your marquee player. But look, you only have 10 marquee players on a team. There's another 43 guys that you need to be rough and tough and day in, day out, be bringing it. And no drama. Exactly. Right? And no drama. Yeah. And so no I, drama. Yeah. And so I think that's, 
what what Ken Staninger got a reputation for. And so Montana guys got a shot when other guys may have even been a little more physically capable because they knew they were kind of a guarantee. Yep. So, and you mentioned the camaraderie element of football, which is one of my favorite parts about covering it and talking to the guys. It was always one of my favorite parts as a player. And you know, I'm to the point now where so many of my best friends from college played for the Grizz and a couple of them played for the Cats as well. And um, when they first get out of college, it's such a hard transition. Even if you only play, you know, FCS college football, you've been doing it for so much of your life, and it's just so much of a, uh, it, it's so ingrained in you that camaraderie, hanging out with your best buddies all the time. And it's a hard transition to get out of it. But now you've been out for, you know, close to twenty years. What's the transition like been like for you? Was it difficult at first? And what sort of outlets have you found, both for the competitive nature and just for the camaraderie aspect of things, to kind of fill that void? Yeah, and it's different because I I had played in the NFL too, which which brings a little bit little bit little bit of a different element. During the first few years, I actually traveled with, with a team called the Strength Team, and doing uh, school seminars and still using some of that strength and that motivational gifting and and those things. And then after you get a little older, it's like it's not you don't look quite as cool. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but um, I think you know it's an interesting statistic because. Uh, one in one million high school football players make it to the NFL, mm-hmm. but yet 80% or more within three years are either divorced, bankrupt, or without a job. Mm-hmm. So the kind of the swing to the top and the swing to the bottom is kind of the 80%. And and within a few years, I was divorced. And that's part of what I wrote in my story. Yeah. We were talking about that. But uh, uh, it there, there is a big swing. I don't think you can really act like there isn't. You either have to live in the glory days or you kind of have to grow up. Right. You know? And it is, you do, you need to grow up and you need to find something new and you need to, you know, kind of write a new story. And so when it, when, what, what was the story for you when you finished, uh, uh, you know, your time in the NFL, I know you went through, you know, that tough period in life, but also now, I mean, to look at you today, so you own the Source Gym here in Missoula, which has just been growing, in fact, a fifth anniversary uh, yeah. just uh, just this month, so congratulations on that. Thank you. And, and, you know, you're putting a lot of time and effort into that. I know that's not the only thing, though, but that has to be part of, you know, what it is that, you know, how you try and express all the energy that's no longer being focused towards football when you're done with football, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the things that get me fired up are, and that's kind of what I, you know, when I talk about deciding what you want to do when you grow up, I, I right. wanted to encourage people. Right. And mm. and a health club was just a really good avenue to do that. Mm. So, yeah, I was pretty smart with, I, I kind of just saved the money that I had from the NFL, so I was able to start a, a gym, Yeah, you know, when when we got back. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, I love doing, like the Falcons last year, they came and did an entire camp at Washington Grizzly Stadium for free for this entire community. Right. So things like that, encouraging kids, encouraging adults to be healthy, anything like that I enjoy. Dallas Neal joining us. He's the subject of our ESPN Roundtable, former University of Montana football player and former NFL football player with the Atlanta Falcons and New York Jets. And Dallas, one thing we haven't talked about yet really is your time at the University of Montana as a football player, which was an, an extremely successful period of time for the Grizzlies. What do you remember about your, your – first of all, how did you, you – you grew up in Great Falls or you, you played football there. What got you to the University of Montana in the first place, and what was it like for you to play for the Grizz in the late 90s? Right. So 
my dad went to Montana State. My uncle went to Montana State. My mom's a bobcat. All of them. Yeah. University of Montana was not on my recruiting list. I was, I, my number one was Notre Dame. Number two was Colorado State. I had kind of my list. Yeah. And those, each one as a punter started falling through. I was number two on the Notre Dame list and Colorado State said they were waiting a year. Mm. And then the Bobcats really didn't want a, a full scholarship punter. They kind of just, hey, you could come in, you could do some things. And then all of a sudden Montana calls me and says, we want you full time. We want you to punt next year. And it kind of just threw me for a loop. Wow, yeah. And I met Don Reed and met the team and the staff, and I said, I think this is the right fit. And then my first year was 1995. I was punting in a national championship game as a rookie. Yeah. And so, yeah, it couldn't have been much more of a sweetheart adventure. And, and Don Reed was hilarious because the stuff he would do, he would, he would bring candy bars to practice all the time. <laughs> and he would get you to relax. Right. Because you're also you're stressed out. Yeah. You don't want to screw up. Our biggest, you know, fear of failing is what all players deal with. Mm. They don't want to screw up in front of thirty thousand people. They don't want to. They don't want to. You know, they just they're always afraid. So you'd pitch them candy bars and get them laughing and get them joking, and then they'll play for you for a candy bar, of course. Of course. <laughs> Dallas, take us through then the progression of your career because after 1995 you guys win the national championship don reed rides off in the sunset uh, he, he retires and then mcdenny takes over so what was the coaching transition like for you and, and just the whole group of grizzlies that kind of went through that at that time well i think more than just the coaching transition i think we had some major player transitions we had dave dickinson matt wells you had a group of seniors that were so strong and so kind of historic in a lot of ways. Um, we had Krebo for one more year, and we had a few things that were, that were going. But I think um, coaching-wise, Mick Dennehy, I, I don't think there was really – we didn't play as well in those next couple years, but we were in the national championship in 96. Yeah. So I just think that uh, we kind of – all the stars aligned, mm. you know, and the groove was there in 95. And it was just really hard to have that level of play continue, even just with the caliber of players. You mean you can't just replace Dave Dickinson? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's what I'm yeah, saying. I, think, I, mean, I mean, Brian pretty... Ayat did a really nice job. Unbelievable. And, and everybody did a really nice job. But the amount of things that need to come together. And we hadn't been on a good recruiting path before that. You know, we weren't a national championship team. And so you expect somebody the year after they win the national championship to continue that level of success. You need three or four years because now you can start recruiting better players. So it does take time. So we had some down years in 97 and 98. And then they came back and won it in 2001 when that recruiting time was paying off. Right. Do you want $3 beers? You're crazy! Of course you do. Who doesn't want a $3 beer? For $3 microbrews and much more, come check out one of the best late happy hours in town at Paradise Falls. Sunday through Thursday from 9 p.m. until 11, Paradise has $3 microbrews along with $6 apps, $2 domestics, and much more. If you're in the mood for an evening cocktail, come to 3621 Brook Street Sunday through Thursday, 9 until 11, to enjoy the best late happy hour in town at Paradise Falls. I'm not crazy. I'm just thirsty. Tell us, talk to us about just the dichotomy of being a guy that contributed on offense from time to time, but also as the punter, because 95-96, those two Grizz offenses, two of the most prolific in the history of the Big Sky Conference, not just at the University of Montana. But both Dave Dickinson and Brian I got through for more than 5,000 yards. There's a million good receivers scoring 40, 50 points all the time. So what was it like 
maybe sometimes catching passes, but also sometimes being the puncher, but also probably sometimes being the puncher and not being able to get on the field hardly at all. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't do much at all in 1995. <laughs> right. I, I, yeah, it was. I mean, there was no reason for me to be there. I was on a full scholarship, but we we didn't we didn't punt the ball very often. Did you did you place kick as well though uh, later on at all? No, no. Okay. no I, you know what? It's it's funny, but I tried to kick off. I tried to place kick. I tried all those things. I mean, from the time I was in third grade, I could punt a ball just amazingly far. It was a gift. It, it was not. And I worked at it, of course. Sure, but no, I can't kick a thirty-five-yard field goal. What was it? What was it about football that drew you in? I mean, like you said, you're a young kid, and you realize you can do something that the other kids can't do, and so that's fine. But that doesn't mean you love it. That doesn't mean that you you all of a sudden just because I'm a great cake baker or whatever it is. So why? What was it about football that got you into it at a, at a young age and something that you wanted to pursue to the point of sending mannequins to people that you did not know? <laughs> Well, I think when I was young, baseball was my thing. Mm. But as I got older, the amount you had to practice and stand on the field and play, it was a longer season. There was more uh, standing around. And I'm like an ADD kid. Right. To try and get me to stand around is not. And so football was more physical for me. And so I needed that. Like I couldn't just be a true punter. I wanted to run around. I wanted to you know, run into people. Right, right. It was a good outlet for me. It was a healthy outlet. Well, Josh, you talked a lot about the coaching change, but just from a personality standpoint, what was it like playing for Mick Denny? I, I love Mick. He, he's a guy that's just hilarious, and I've always called him for some of my retrospective stories whenever I need an extra quote. But uh, what was the difference like between Don Reed and him, and what was it like playing for Mick? Well, Mick was an O coordinator, and so he was a technician. Don Reed never really so it was like having your offensive and defensive coordinator. Now he was heavily more involved in the game. And so he's heavily more involved in the technical details. And so Don Reed really tried to let his coaches coach. Like he'd I'm sure behind the scenes he was doing a lot of things. But what I noticed with McDenny, he, he was very much more active. Mm-hmm. Like he would he would get in the trenches with you and he would work with you and he would push you. And so I just saw he was much more of a hands-on coach where Don Reed was more of like a, a, a rah-rah, even though he was probably coaching from the backside. But the persona of that was, yeah. You, uh, you had mentioned your whole family was Bobcats for the most part growing up. And that was sort of like mate, probably the path that you thought you might be on. What was their reaction when you said, I'm going to Missoula? So in five years, my uncle never came to (laughs) University of Uh, Montana Stadium. A little sore about that. Yeah. But it was okay. It was okay. It came to a national championship game. And my folks just love both of the teams. Right. They're just like – they're just happy to see their son play. So you got a couple a couple of relatives on the extended side that are just aghast, and this is excommunication-worthy, borderline, and then your folks like – the sun wins out, right? They're yep. like that's always going to be the more important thing. Yeah, they're stitched in half. There you go. That's good. <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> Dallas, when you hear your story, there's so many parallels between your story and Brian Salonen's story. I know you guys were a lot of years apart, but he had so many cat ties. Uh, his dad was a Bobcat Hall of Famer, uh, but then he ends up coming to the Grizz and a tight end guy. But then when he gets to the NFL, he's playing all over the place. All of a sudden, he's playing defense, even though he didn't even play defense in college. I know you guys are a little ways away at age, but did you, did you ever lean on him, or did you guys ever have any conversations like that, or is that, is that just a complete coincidence? 
So Brian was from Great Falls, and I, I just really looked right. up to him. Him and Brad uh, Salone and I, you know, you're probably some of my childhood idols that I was that I was emulating or modeling when I was when I was growing up. So yeah, I, I I'm friends with Brian, and I get to talk to him about it. Um, you know, during those times and seasons, I really wasn't able to connect with them, but now I now I'm able to. After the fact, you yeah. go, wow, how about that? What's the what's the deal with the Great Falls? Uh, uh, Dallas Neal, our guest here, and and Dallas. You said uh, you got a nickname when you were in the NFL. Is this right? A free meal, Dallas Neal. Is that is that ringing a bell? What's that yeah, about? It's not the most glorious nickname, but, <laughs> but you, know, pretty, you know, you got the alliteration. That's pretty yeah. Good. Sometimes when you're not the crusher, you know, or anything like that, you get other nicknames. So yeah, when when, when you're with an NFL team, the players in between practices and on the road, we go out to eat. Right. Well, you take ten guys out to eat. You're talking maybe a thousand dollar bill, right. or sometimes a two thousand dollar bill. Right. So the routine was everybody had to lay their credit cards on the table, and and the the waiter or the waitress would pick them up and start pulling credit cards out. The last credit card pulled out pays the whole meal. Okay. So you get to go home to your wife and say, "I just dropped two grand." Yeah. yeah on what? Yeah. Sushi. Well, and and playing for the league mini minimum as a rookie, obviously you got. Plenty two thousand dollar meals, no problem, right? You know, yes, yeah. It, for these guys, they would order hundred dollar bottles of wine and things like that. But I, I never did. I would always, I would always like, I would never live in a house. I would always live in an apartment because I wanted to stay hungry. Well, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, some of the guys, like you said, the ten marquee guys, it's no big yeah. deal. But the rest, I mean, like, yeah, you're making a good living, but you don't know for how long. And second of all, it's two grand. I mean, we can't exactly. be just dropping this for fun now, right? Oh yeah, I was yeah, I was I, I was freaking out. But in three years of being with the Falcons, I never paid for one meal. <laughs> That's how I got my nickname. I mean, I had the odds. So you just oh, you're- oh, they knew, and they would they would know, and they would harass me, and they'd try and you know get me to pay, and I'm like, hey man. No, no never meal. free meal. Yeah, I was a legend. Free meal, Dallas Neal. Well, that now now we know. Okay, yeah. that's good. I'll I'll go. I'll eat with you, and then we'll make sure the card doesn't get pulled. It'll be great. <laughs> um, you also have a a, a story you want to talk about. Uh, one pound is two hundred and fifty dollars. One pound of what? Two hundred and fifty bucks. Oh, that was the story we talked about when they motivate you to gain weight. Oh, oh, that right, right, right. Okay, okay. Now I got you. It was worth two fifty to you. I thought I thought you were gonna tell me that you had a pound of something that you were gonna sell or something like that, but it's just a pound of muscle is what it is. That's how they move. Got it, you. yeah, I got they you. Have their yeah, ways yeah, to motivate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Go Can you imagine ahead. how rich we would be if we got paid a two hundred and fifty oh. bucks every time we gained a pound, Jeff? So I'd quit my job immediately. I'd make I'd make a thousand bucks during the show. <laughs> Four pounds up. Well, you know, it did work the other way. You know, we had a guy on the team, and he had to lose a pound a week, and he had to drop 20 pounds. He wasn't moving quite as well. He was an offensive lineman. And his fines were up to $130,000. And I remember Coach Reeves calling him in to uh, have a meeting, and he fired him. And I said, what did he say? And he said, if you're not going to be disciplined enough at home, you're not disciplined enough to play for me. Wow. And that was it. I mean, that was his career was over. Yeah, because you cross one coach, you've crossed them all. You know, that's it's it. So it could work either way. So now, Dallas, let's fast forward to the present. You're uh, uh, a father of three girls, all uh, girls in uh, in middle and high school. You run the source 
uh, Health Club. And what are you up to? What do you, what, you know, you, I mean, that's plenty to be up to. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. That's a lot. But what do you, when you, you know, kind of go around, you're having a birthday today and you go around, what do you, what do you do? Mostly I just look for ways to encourage people. So I enjoy encouraging my staff at the source to encourage people to get healthy. Like I, I'm not interested in getting people to come from other gyms to work out at our gym. I'm interested in getting people off the couch to just kind of get motivated to start writing their story. So I actually just finished a book. It's actually called Writing Your Story with God. And it's just about my NFL story. But the whole point of the book is to get people to start writing their story, mm. like start developing a story, start making a story. You know, even that mannequin leg. And, and that, that was the start of a story. You took a risk. Totally. And you, and you just started a story. And who knows what's going to happen. But you got to just put yourself out there. Where, where, where's the book going to be? So the book just got published uh, today on Amazon. Today? Yeah. On your birthday, you're on getting the birthday. book published. I mean, that's pretty good. This is the greatest day of your life. <laughs> birthday, <laughs> book publishing, everything. So, but it's it's more, you know, it's 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 a fun book. It's just meant, you know, that's everything I do. I just, you know, you want to encourage people, and it and it's it's a it's. I'll send you the link to it, so you so you got it. Well, I just want to ask you just broadly, Dallas. Um, playing for the Grizzlies, playing in the NFL, all of these things. It seems like it's taught you a great deal, but what do you take from it the most? What is this What is this whole entire experience? How did that sort of set the stage for the second chapter of your life? Everything in my life has been about uh, persevering and, and finding peace in the perseverance. Like, just because things aren't going well in the moment, one, don't quit, and two, learn how to have a little bit of fun and and, like, I almost got to where you kind of craved um, pushing through and fighting through some things. Mm. And that is something that helps you later in life because later in life, you're not so much fighting with physical things. You're fighting with, you know, emotional things. You got it. You're dealing with kids. You're dealing with uh, uh, other people and other business partners. And and it has more to do with your character. After that, and so you got to persevere and choose the right things character-wise, which is a lot different than just you know being a meathead. Dallas, happy birthday! Hey, thank you. Thanks so much for being here. Oh yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. You guys are great. I love listening <laughs> to you guys. I love laughing with you. You have done a great thing for this community, and we really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate that. Same, reciprocated. Sometimes it's stressful juggling all your responsibilities on the weekends. You know you need to do your chores. You know you want to spend time with your family. But really, you just want to watch football all day. Paradise Falls is the perfect option for a family-friendly place to hang out and still have a chance to catch all the games. Open 7 a.m. till midnight and offering breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Paradise Falls has 30 big screen TVs, ESPN3 capabilities, and much, much more. So you're going to buy Paradise Falls on Brook Street anytime you're in the mood for some food or some football. Paradise Falls, 3621 Brook Street, Missoula's coolest hotspot.